Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, we're George and James and today we're getting pretentious with Time Out by Dave Brubeck or the Dave Brubeck Quartet as it is better known. How you doing, James? Hi, I'm all right. Very hot. It's very hot today. It's very hot in uh, good old London town. Um, it is hot. Yesterday we looked at our temperature thermometer. Thermometer? Yeah, thermostat. 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 And we were up to 35 degrees inside the flat, which is fun. Uh, that is hot. I think it's, at the moment, my phone is saying it's nearly 28 degrees outside. So it's not cold. <laughs> it's definitely not cold. And uh, we're still in lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, been I'm, over, I'm on day like 70 something now of yeah. not going to work um i've actually lost track now it's I interesting because i edited episodes as the time of recording this i episode uh i edited episode 10 of the podcast and so we're definitely catching up to ourselves but um with recordings but i was editing episode 10 and like obviously we recorded that quite early on in lockdown and in the podcast i'm like but hopefully you listening to this will be out of lockdown by now and it will all be over no no because it's coming out on friday and we're still very much in lockdown so what have you been listening to recently Uh, so i finally got around to listening to hayley williams new album oh i did as well i i liked it a bit long bit long but i think it's one we should talk about on the podcast because i think it's a very pivotal point for her career yeah i think i think we'll definitely cover it at some point um i've only listened to it once through yeah um i kind of i listened to it first time in two parts and then i actually managed to get the whole way through it um it's just yeah it sticks in the same style a bit too much and yeah it it on first listen, and I'll I'll reserve my complete judgment for when we do a proper podcast because I'll I'll listen to it a lot more. But on first listen, I was a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I, I I don't know if I was expecting too much of it, given the given how good the first EP was. I don't know. I think I was maybe a little bit underwhelmed by the final album. I also quite like the second EP as well, but I think I think it should have actually have been three EPs, not not a whole album. Right. Yeah. I don't know. We'll talk about it properly at some point. Um, what else? What else have we been? I've been meaning, I've noticed the Little Sims has released a new album. Oh, yes. well, EP. Sorry, EP that I've been meaning to listen to. It's quite good. Yeah. Have you given it a listen? Yeah. I, I quite enjoyed it. Again, I've only listened to it once. And when I was listening to it, 
I was very much not in you you know you have to be in like the right mood for for certain types of music yeah I definitely wasn't in the mood to be listening to Little Sims it's just I I saw it come out so I was like well I should listen to it oh Um, I tell you what is a good mood album that came out Charlie XCX I released a new album only eight months after her first oh well her her album Charlie she's now released a new album that I can't remember the name of off the top of my head but it's very, it's pop meets Death Grips. Okay. With a little hint of Sophie in there. Right. So quite dark, but with some really good pop hooks. Mm. I haven't listened to it all the way through, because um, I was listening to it this morning. But solid album if you want a slightly different pop artist or pop album. Uh, I've heard of the first couple of Everything Everything tracks that are off their new... Yeah. Um, record not feeling it massively yet um i think i like the second single more than the first agreed um the first one though does have a very interesting music video really like the music video um very weird sort of 3d uh graphics i don't really know how to describe it it looks like if you taken a playstation 2 and added like an lsd trip yeah Um, well it it's a bit like have you seen the music video for 1975's birthday song it's very similar it's that kind of new avant-garde windows xp look yeah (laughs) avant-garde windows xp what's it called i think it's like new wave or something like new wave film yeah correct me if i'm wrong because it is quite a cool art style and i know you can buy you can get a instagram filter for it okay it does it yeah um what else have i listened to there was something i was listening to yesterday and i was like i should remember this and mention it on the podcast and now i can't remember what it was so it was clearly very good someone that we have spoken about a few times on here taylor swift has got something on Disney Plus. Mm, I watched the start of it. <laughs> Any good? Yeah, I mean, it's a Taylor Swift concert, so you shouldn't know what you're getting. Um, but it's in like a a, a small French theatre. Um, so it's one of those things where she invited like her fans, like like the her biggest fans or whatever came to like an exclusive gig before she released her album and played her songs from the album but yeah it's it's a taylor swift concert it's it's good it's fine where's the first first concert on disney plus yeah it surprised me it was on disney plus i thought um netflix would have wanted to have snatched that up but Apparently not. Maybe Taylor Swift's going to be acting in some Disney film soon. Uh, I was just thinking whether Cats is Disney. It's not, is it? No. Uh, if it's, is it Fox? Might be. Because if so, Disney owns that. Cats. But it's not up on Disney Plus, so. No. Cats. I still, I still want to see the butthole version of oh, Cats. Oh, it's, it's Universal Pictures. Oh, okay. Did you hear that there's a butthole version of cats? There's a version where all the cats have buttholes that right. they initially released 
and then they had to go back and do a second like I they think did, it was for the premiere or something. They did do a second release halfway through it being out as well, didn't they? Because, like, they'd, like, really rushed it. And there were, like, CGI errors in the film, in, like, the final release film. Like, there's a, there was a scene where, like, Judy Dench's hand hadn't been catified. So it was just this weird, like, there was this cat with, like, Judy Dench's hand. And they, like, went and fixed it um and then like re-sent it out to the cinemas with different visual effects because apparently they were still finishing the film on like the day of the premiere and then they still hadn't finished it so yeah and they still hadn't finished it but it still also looks awful it does it just looks weird i don't know i don't know like why why they thought that was gonna work it also is it's one of those things that doesn't actually have a storyline. It it it's great when you see it in theaters cuz it's all dramatic and cool, but mm. actually when you put it into a film format it doesn't have the I don't know what you call it, plot. <laughs> yeah, it just it doesn't actually work. Oh, I tell you what else has been a nice little few releases is Leanne Havis. She's released three songs now. Oh, really? I haven't check those out yeah which they're all just they're very nice songs she sounds like she's very much in her element for this album coming up there leanne le havis she sort of disappeared for a while it's taken her a while to like release new music well yeah i went to see her a year or two ago which was just a random gig Mm. in london yeah so today on the podcast uh, as you as you already know, because you've we've clicked, mentioned it at the start, we've mentioned it at the start, <laughs> and you've clicked on the podcast that has it in the title of the podcast. We are doing something a little bit different um, in the form of a 1959 jazz record, "Time Out" by Dave Brubeck. Um, this is our first foray into jazz on the podcast. Yeah, it is actually. Um, yeah, we did talk about doing um, something a bit more modern like Coco Penguin or um, maybe even a snarky puppy record. But yeah. it seemed right to do an old school jazz standard. I mean, this is the sort of like, I, I, I think, I think um, and it's going to be interesting, I think, this one because... You may hear me uh, struggle slightly in... I mean, it might be a little bit easier for George having been to um, BIM and music school. Like, George has at least some sort of music theory behind him. So in terms of talking about jazz, he might be a little bit better than me in terms of time signatures and all that kind of stuff. But... um, this is definitely a record I'm familiar with and have listened to a lot over the years. And I feel like even if you're not a jazz... If you're the kind of person that says, oh, I would never... I, I don't listen to jazz. I'm not interested in jazz. Um, you will have heard... You will have definitely heard these uh, tunes, songs, standards. 
before. Yeah, agreed. Um, especially Blue Ronda, Alaturk, and Take Five. I think you, there's there's no way you've not managed to hear those um, songs beforehand. The, to be honest, this was the first album that ever sold more. Uh, the first jazz album that sold more than a million copies. So it is the kind of the pop record of jazz records. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like if we've got any hardcore jazz fans that listen to the podcast uh, and who are finally excited that we've picked to listen to jazz, do you think jazz... Uh, j- uh, this is a question I don't know if you'll be able to answer, I don't know. But are jazz... You said it's like the pop record of jazz. Are jazz fans a bit snooty about it? I don't know. Um... Or do they appreciate it for... I think there's a slight snootiness, not from being a jazz fan, but more a lot because Dave Brubeck's very much a cool jazz rather than cool. Yeah, jazz. he was like yeah. the forefather of cool jazz rather than your people like Charlie Parker and Miles Davis, which was much more bebop. It, there's yeah, it's less about it's almost less about drugs and punkiness and more about just enjoyment in jazz it's less yeah. the, it's not so much a statement dave brubeck compared so f- yeah so for listeners that are unaware i i'm conscious that we want to try and keep this uh as accessible as possible yeah so very briefly the difference between cool jazz and bebop. Oh, to sum it up, bebop jazz is a lot more, it's fast-paced, it's technical. Frenetic. Yeah, it's it's your massive runs up and down scales, very frantic solos, and loosely connected to it, a lot of the players of bebop jazz were heroin addicts. But that's not all of them, but it gives you an idea of the mood. And then cool jazz is a lot more about it's about laying down more of a beat from what I kind of gather from cool jazz. It's more about setting a nice scene for a very equal, even balance of different sections of either a quartet or quintet or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's, it's what you think of when you think of fifties, jazz like you're in a jazz bar in 50s new york yeah in the middle of a episode of mad men it's like that kind yeah, of yeah it's a bit like the difference between somebody like charlie xcx and then taylor swift you would consider them both yeah. pop and they're both in the same sort of you'd put them at the same festival but one of them's a lot more aggressive and a little bit more pushing with the sound the other one's a lot more accessible and just enjoyable digestible yeah because i'd say like um and again jazz jazz fans may crucify me for (laughs) this but i'd say something like miles davis's kind of blue for me anyway i don't know if if many people would agree but it it feels more towards the cool side of jazz yeah definitely i think that's something that some people um, get because dave brubeck and miles davis 
because they're both absolute legends, people think, oh, they're yeah. both jazz, which is true. But then you hit, but then you listen to something like Bitches Brew by Miles and Davis. It's, a, it's yeah. much more um, sort of experimentally. Sort of. It's a bit like saying that Brian Eno and Steve Reich are the same. It's like they, well, they mm. both do ambient, but Steve Reich's much more down a minimal route, whereas Brian Eno is more about a textual route. So they're both sitting in the same genre, but they are definitely very big artists from two different subsets of that genre. So Dave Brubeck, I was just telling George, we, we had to sort of pause recording temporarily uh, while an egg was cooked. <laughs> Um, um, but uh, I was telling George briefly that um, Dave Brubeck, just before making Time Out, um, and you hear the influence, especially on on the first track, Blue Rondo, uh, Blue Rondo a la Turk, because he got the time signature for that piece from when he visited Turkey. That's where he got like the rhythm of that piece that's what it sort of inspired him for that mm. um but yeah apparently so the u.s department of state in the 50s um wanted to subvert um soviet russia by sending a bunch of jazz musicians on a tour of eastern europe so they went to like poland uh, well, it wasn't just Eastern Europe, to be fair, but any, you know, sort of all around near near the edges of Russia. So they went Poland, Turkey, India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Iran, Iraq. And they were doing, they were just playing concerts, basically, to try and in sort of increase the American influence in those sort of uh, countries, which is quite interesting. It's amazing to think how instrumental, like you don't get that. We don't have, other than a band like Pussy Riot, we don't have many bands these days that, or at least it doesn't feel like we have many bands these days that are sent out on politically charged tours in the same way that you had from kind of the 60s back. Yeah. I mean, like, the only ones that you can think of, other than someone like Pussy Riot, you just think, if you think political bands at the moment, you think of people like you too. <laughs> desperately trying to shove their political views down your throat uh, in the middle of vertigo and it just completely yeah. turns I think you it, off to what they're It's doing. a weird thought that because I mean there's the whole thing with Hitler not allowing jazz in Nazi Germany and stuff due to it and the whole um, Bauhaus movement was disallowed due mm. to its free form thinking and it's lack of traditionalism. Mm. And it's like, shit, music used to be that integral into... Nowadays, you can just... You can put fart sounds pitch-shifted into a pop song and <laughs> that's not going to offend anyone, really. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's been... Because I wouldn't... Sort of anything... I wouldn't say recent, Time Out but... doesn't feel... Like, Dave Brubeck in general doesn't feel like a political charged musician it doesn't feel uh we've talked about uh, before on the podcast as well about like music feeling dangerous like punk music in the 80s felt or the 70s yeah. sorry felt uh like a dangerous thing and we said that 
uh, in the very first episode, actually, I said that I felt like punk music had sort of lost that. Edge yeah, it's not dangerous, to it and now just feels just feels the same as as anything else. Um, and but yeah, I, I mean, I could I could almost imagine, you know, jazz feeling dangerous and edgy. You know, if you're if we, if we think about like Nazi Germany or something who who is so trying to a regime like that who's so trying to suppress mm. freedom of thought, jazz I guess would feel quite um, dangerous, edgy, sort of like well if they're listening to this, what they're going to be thinking, sort of thing because it's so all over the place sometimes. Whereas Dave Brubeck, especially. I don't know if it's because of the years that have passed and it's become normal now. And I feel like Dave Brubeck's music is very much in the lexicon of 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 a lot of stuff we listen to now. Yeah. It just it it feels it feels like a nice pop record. I could I almost I almost it 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 definitely is jazz, but I would I'd be wary calling it a jazz record to someone because I wouldn't want to... I feel like sometimes you can put people off by telling someone it's jazz. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to tell them it's a jazz record. Cause... Yeah, there's a fine line between... I think especially in cool jazz and a lot of Dave Brubeck stuff and his and his fellow jazzers, they, they, they sit on the line <laughs> of easy listening and jazz. And yeah. I think that's the point of cool jazz. It's like, it's meant to be easy listening but with a little hint of, I mean, the fact that Blue Rondo Ella Turk is 9-8, but it's the fact yeah. that they managed to make the 9-8 not feel like it's weird. And the same with Take 5. It also, do, it also does go <clears throat> to 4-4 four, four at some point in the track yeah. as well, doesn't it? Like, it starts off in 9-8 and you're a bit like... Um, you know, it could it could sort of it's like it's it's nine eight at the start, and you feel like oh, this is different. You know, this is there's a there's a different sort of rhythm to yeah. this. But sort of halfway through, it returns to four four, and it's almost a bit like ah, oh, yeah. Four, four but again. what's interesting is that because nine eight has been it was used a little bit before this, but much more as a one two three one two three one two three. That's the nine eight. This is different mm. because it's going one two one two one two one two three one two one two one two three, and it's it it feels so different because it's more like having a bar of four four and a bar of five four, and it just kind of it almost feels like common time apart from one extra beat, and I think that's what Dave Brubeck managed to actually toy with to make it feel quite accessible but mm. also make you question what's happening. You don't instantly go, oh, this time signature's weird. You go, something's different about this song. Yeah. Plus it's also quite fast, so you kind of almost skip over it. It does, because um, I know he, he got this when he was when he was over and he, he picked up that rhythm when he was in Turkey. Yeah, it's a Turkish folk song. And it, and it does feel... A bit like being, I mean, I've never been to Turkey, but 
but it but it reminds me of sort of when I've been to Morocco, and I know they're very different countries, so I don't want to yeah. <laughs> say they're the same. But like when you go to Morocco and you're in the the big markets in Marrakesh, and that sort of frantic energy that's always going on, and the heat, and yeah. that nine eight. Um, rhythm that he's playing at the start of Blue Rondo à la Turk feels to me like you're in sort of that sort of hustle bustle of like a busy market with the heat beating down on you. Yeah, he's definitely captured. Like this whole album just captures an essence. Actually, going back to the political thing and going back to one of our more spoken about bands, but 1975... I would argue that the first track on their album has a similar weighting. You know how they've got they've got that new their new intro to their song, uh, to their new album, mm. which is out this Friday, um, with Greta Thunberg doing a little mm. talking bit. That's the that's the sort of thing that I think this must have been like when this first came out. Hmm that kind of because imagine hearing pretty much the first three tracks off this album in a time where all jazz was pretty much four four or six eight you'd have been like whoa this is new but it's also cool yes it's cool but it's new and um i imagine it's like watching uh i was talking to my uh, to as as i always like to do bring it back to film um, I imagine I was talking to my dad recently and I can't remember why, but we were talking about Star Wars and he was saying what it was like seeing Star Wars for the first time at the cinema. Yeah. And he was like, you sat down and the opening shot where the, the text. Star Destroyer oh, goes shit, overhead yeah. after the text. And it was like... Mind blown. <laughs> what? What is this? Like, what is going on? Like, I've never seen anything like this before with the music and... Um, and I imagine, um, in maybe a slightly less uh, grand and spectacular way, well, yeah. You've... If you hadn't heard this album before, it could be a bit like well, it just comes in, and it's like, hold on, this is this is a really nice key. The chords you're playing are really nice, but it's so frantic and in my face and trippy. Mm. In the in the fifties, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard for us to take um, our minds back to that time. <laughs> Almost. Yeah, because when I hear it, I think when I heard this album for the first time, I'd probably even already heard Blue Rondo à la Turk. It gets used in so many things in films and TV and stuff. So I'd probably already heard it anyway. But I also had, uh, whether I knew it or not, like I just think through through absorbing the culture around you, yeah, I think you have the past uh 60 years of musical knowledge well yeah i was definitely listening to stuff like prodigy and nirvana before i heard this Mm. so this was like this was light 
listening yeah. compared to something like In Bloom or Smack yeah. My Bitch Up. Like, so it's hard. It's hard to to necessarily like to, to be able to take yourself back to to that. And it was like I was saying to my dad, like as as, as massive a Star Wars fan as I am the one thing I'm always going to miss out on is, is that, that first. was that initial mm. feeling in, you know, when it came out. Yeah. Of, of, of being like, this is something like I've never seen before. Um, so it would be interesting talking to someone who remembers, like, listening to this for the first time in the 50s. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think my granddad um, is, like, I think... This he would have been maybe in his he would have been in his teens, I think, when this album mm. comes out. I should have actually have tried to call him and see what his reaction was. Because I think I he told me about this album when I was a kid. And I remember him saying that he remembers it coming out. Cause it got to number right. two in the pop charts of, of like for albums. So it was a big deal at the time. Yeah. And it, yeah, it It'd be interesting to know the reaction from people because also originally the label weren't going to release it because I think at this point he had joined up with Columbia and they were like, yeah, this is a little bit experimental for our liking. Mm. And then Dave Brubeck was like, oh, go on then. Go on. And Go on. Go on. <laughs> and now it's two times platinum. Inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame back in 2009. The first jazz album to sell more than a million copies. I yeah. Um, which, if you were uh, wondering why we picked this as, a, as our entry into jazz on this podcast, that I think that's reason enough. Yeah, it is. I think um, I, I would quite happily say that this is the biggest jazz, as a whole jazz record of all time. I think I don't think I've ever met anyone that hasn't heard Take Five. Yeah, even if they don't know who does it, they've heard it. Yeah, or, yeah. But funnily enough, I actually I was looking into the reviews at the time because I was like, oh, I wonder if this was like it dropped and everyone was like, shit, the bed. This is the best album ever. Turns out, really negative reviews from critics. Really? Yeah. Before just like before it was released to public not liked interesting one thing i wanted to ask you actually is because we talked about on the podcast a lot before about you are someone who enjoys a challenge when listening to music a bit like you yeah you struggle with i i think a little bit like you struggle sometimes with um stuff that that we could classify as easy listening um so for you as someone who struggles a bit with easy listening when you listen to this album i know you wouldn't necessarily classify it as easy listening but it's definitely on the easier end of jazz are you yearning for a bit more experimentalism and uh you know weirdness and difference i think that's what makes this a cool jazz album and not just like easy listening background jazz like mm. if you actually if you're listening passively this album is very 
nice and comfortable and sweet on the surface, if you actually pay attention and actually actively listen to what the rhythm of the piano is doing, um, there was one, I think it's called Karen's Waltz. No, Kathy's mm. Walt Waltz. The drums, in comparison to the piano in that, it's a really clever polyrhythmic displacement going on that makes it feel like a waltz, even though the drums aren't playing a waltz the whole time. It's what the piano's doing in contradiction to the drums. But it's the fact that it's like looking at um, like a lot of abstract art. It's not offensive, but mm. if you actually try and look into it and understand it, it, that's where the enjoyment can come from. The joys of Dave Brubeck. Subtly ingenious. I was definitely concerned. Well, not concerned, but talking about this album, it came out in what? Is it 58 or 59? 59. That's a long, that's a long time for an album to be very set in what it is. By that point, there's not really much area for debate. No. Like, there's not really anything new to say on it. If you want to find an opinion on no. this album, you can probably already find it. Yeah. And it's definitely, it did make me think, like, how old can an album be before it becomes, or like, how famous and old can an album be before you just can't really discuss it anymore or break it down? Because there'll always be people mm. that don't like an album or do like an album. And by this point, everyone who does like it or don't like it have come out of the woodwork <laughs> and expressed their opinions. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's something um, I worry about sometimes when we cover slightly older albums is like, are we just um, repeating stuff that people will have heard already about about an album? You know what I mean? Like, are we... Um, are we saying everything that's been said before? I think there's also a risky area of we didn't, we're not close enough to that period to understand the the impact of it. Because we did Peter Gabriel and Primal Scream before this. And although they were both mm. out before we were born, we are much closer to the the lifestyle that people lived. Like phones were starting to be a thing computers were starting to be a thing we had doors yeah we had doors <laughs> oh, i thought <laughs> digital... you meant doors as in, as in doors that you own. No, digital audio workstations I'm, like, I'm pretty sure they've had doors <laughs> for for centuries uh yes digital audio workstations. yeah whereas um, this I, I can't like yeah. we've never lived a life where everything is done through a mix like everything's mixed there and then everything's live you do a take that's it yeah i also think as well when we talk about when we've talked about peter gabriel and screamer delica um i feel like the the line of influence is easier to see like the closer you are to it so mm. you can look at screamer delica and you can and you it's kind of easier to see all the bands that we know yeah have that, been inspired. that have been influenced by them. Yeah. And 
no doubt there are bands that we listen to today that we're very familiar with that will have listened to Time Out by Dave Brubeck and it have massive influence. Well, you see, someone like Peter Gabriel probably grew up listening to stuff like Dave Brubeck in the same way yeah. that we grew up listening to somebody like Peter Gabriel. That's the, yeah. that's the shift. But it's harder for me charting the list of like as as time goes on the tendrils of influence like grow out further and further and become harder to sort of wade through yeah it's almost like you physically it, it's almost like you have dave brubeck in the center right and then you've got this like maze that grows like labyrinth that grows around of all the things it's influenced by of all the things that are influenced by it. Yeah. And the closer you are to a record, the closer to the centre of the maze you are, the centre of the labyrinth. So when we talk about Screamer Delica, um, yeah, it came out in... What, 91? The start of the 90s. Yeah. 91, yeah. I think. And so we're, we're, still, we're still definitely in the labyrinth, but we're much closer to the centre than we were than we are if we're talking about Dave Brubeck, where we're, like, on the fringes of it. Yeah. So trying to see all the stuff it's influenced and trying to get to the root of the album is much more difficult. And I am very pleased with that analogy. That is a good analogy. (laughs) It is... Yeah. Even the artwork for this album is hard to relate to. Like... So the artwork was done by um, S. Neil Vegeta, I want to say. That's how you say his name. Um, But this artwork was considered quite avant-garde at the time. And I mean, that's a very common piece of artwork that you would see in Tate Modern these days. Yes. To us, that's classic art classic modern art also as well like i'm just reading about vegeta at yeah, the moment. He's a cool dude. And, then, and and you remember you also remember the context of you know someone in the 50s listening to this record is very different to someone listening to it now mm. in the sense of um because you read about vegeta he he went to art school but that was interrupted by the Second World War, yeah. and so and what and so what influence did that of him serving in the Second World War have on his art? And similarly with Dave Brubeck, what you know, what would have him going through that have influenced his art with? Yeah. Whereas we don't have that. We don't. We we can't understand that. I, I do find... That's something that I've thought about before with a lot of kind of metal music, um, punk music, much more what I would consider more aggressive than this and a lot of jazz music that came out of the 40s, 30s, up to 50s, 60s even, is how war, like two world wars, didn't create music anywhere near as aggressive as we have today and yet we haven't had to serve in mass wars mm. so it makes me wonder whether something like COVID-19 that's affected all of us is that 
is it going to make aggressive music or is it going to actually make more relaxed music? Yeah. Yeah, because I think um, despite, um, I won't get too political, but despite my reservations about the whole, you know, people, especially in this country, people refer to this lockdown situation like like the blitz spirit. And that annoys me because I don't think it's anything like the yeah. blitz. But um, the, it is the first thing, I think, for probably since the Second World War that we're all across the world experiencing in some yeah, way. Yeah, because you could argue something like the Vietnamese War. It affected us slightly in the 2008 recession. Everybody felt it, but it wasn't, it wasn't tangible. There's not this sort of, yeah, there's, there's not the sort of this mass sort of unified experience mm. that we're all, you know, whether you're um, rich or poor, you know, from England or from India, from, you know, from wherever, you're experiencing very similar circumstances in being sort of locked down in some way. Yeah. Obviously with different circumstances attached to that, but... Um, but it's the it's the first thing I can think of for years that is that feels like we're all going through a very similar thing. I um, I think this is definitely as well the biggest negative thing to happen to the music industry mm. in history that we can remember. Because yeah, even during the war. People were being sent out to play for soldiers. I mean, music was a big part of the traditions of the army. Whereas now, yeah. unless you're listening to music and not getting paid much for it, like gigging can't happen. No. You don't, music's not being used for the thing that it's has at its core, which is kind of that tribal people yeah people together so yeah like it's a weird time to not be able to have that in music it was, it was weird i said i i I, I watched a bit of the taylor swift thing last night yeah and it's and it's funny how you know i, I i've been to gigs this year but so it's you know it's not like it's completely ages ago that i haven't been to a gig but it's weird it is weird seeing people at a gig on your TV. Yeah. It feels weird because it feels like that can't happen at the moment. And I don't think it's going to really happen properly this no. year. Well, just like... And that feels Imagine weird. you couldn't record Time Out now. You couldn't have the people that were in that studio in the studio. I mm. imagine how different a jazz record would come out right now because you would all have to be separated. Whereas usually it's all recorded in one room and you're all always in a venue and you actually have an audience. You yeah. can do that right now. That's like, it's going to have a big impact. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess the hope is as well. It also inspires some creativity in people. Yeah. Um, you know, and that hopefully we'll get some good stuff when we come out of lockdown. As long as it's not another Zoom-based live session. 
live session or a Zoom-based television program or... I, 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 I know you don't uh, have live TV, but um, I was flicking through the other day. ITV were advertising for... They'd done some short films, like, in isolation, and they're sort of, like, over... They look like they're over Zoom or something. And it's, like, three films about isolation. It's like, why do I want... I don't want to watch a film about isolation when I'm in isolation. There's such a fine line of what... What is actually tolerable over Zoom? (laughs) Have you seen that Taika Waititi is doing a live well not live but he's doing a reading of james and the giant peach with random celebrities no i haven't it's fantastic it is the right usage of zoom because Mm. he's he for the first episode he had um the hemsworth brothers playing the evil twins the witches right not the witches the stepmoms that's it like the like yeah. Step, yeah, but then the next episode, he has Benedict Cumberbatch and, um, oh, I've forgotten her name. One of the greatest female actors of our time, um, playing the same characters. Um, okay. Oh, and also you had Nick Kroll playing a creepy old man. That's a that's nice. a good usage of Zoom. It's distracting. Well, us. yeah, like um. Like the community, the cast of community yes. came back for a, a table read, like a podcast and a table read, and that was fun. Yeah, um, yeah, things like that. But then things like that would be fun even outside of this. Whenever, like you know what I mean, they'd be fun out a lockdown in lockdown. I saw, um, you know, the TV show Have I Got News for You? Yes usually done in front of a studio audience obviously but obviously they can't do that at the moment so they're all doing they're doing it over zoom with each other but obviously there's no studio audience but they've not changed the format in any mm. way so they still t- tell jokes as they would and there's just silence cuz there's no one to laugh at them yeah and it just feels like and it feels like even if the jokes were good um it feels like every joke is falling flat because you're not hearing laughter as you normally would, um, which is really bizarre. And you just and you just watch it and you go, "Why you? Why bother?" Yeah, it's you know why like why do that? Yeah, I think we need to get off the whole. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I like. I'm just so bored of so many things playing to the whole isolation thing like i had tv for a couple of days when i was out due to some plumbing at somebody else's house and um watching tv and the amount of isolation adverts Mm. just like why why do we have to make money out of this (laughs) or at least try and (laughs) do stuff with it anyway Dave Brubeck, any uh, anything else you want to say about this album before we uh, wrap up? Um, I would be... I don't know how quickly we'll jump into doing another old album like this. Um, it's been quite difficult to... 
I think maybe because this album's not necessarily politically weighted, it's not too challenging. Like Dave Brubeck, just you read about him, he's a sound guy. <laughs> like, like cool, he's cool not dude. really had much controversy. It's been this has definitely been the hardest video to research kind of for. Cause it's just a good cool jazz album that's a classic mm. and that uh, if you want to get into jazz start here um maybe we could take on somebody like miles davis or charlie parker at some point i think or so. even somebody like um, billy holiday who's there's a lot more political flair going on behind mm. the scenes i think dave brubeck just comes across as someone who was just Pretty well loved. Um, yeah, definitely an important figure in uh, in the cool jazz scene. Um, I mean, he's got an asteroid belt named after him. Yeah, so that that says it all. Yeah, he's just a you know a happy you, go lucky guy. Having, if you're having asteroid belts named after you, then I think you're doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for joining us on this jazz excursion. Um, if you like the podcast, then please do share it with your friends, subscribe, um, follow us on the social media channels that are listed in the description of this podcast and go and subscribe to our YouTube channel and join us next time when we will be talking about George we are going to be discussing Foles, Everything Not Saved Will Be Lost, part one and part two. And you can wait and see whether it's going to be a part one and a part two episode as well. Yeah, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to see ourselves, depending on how long we end up. Yeah, let's uh, see how long we talk about Foles for. Um, yeah. Um, so, until next time, thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.